Please take your Bibles, if you have them with you this morning. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. The Lord spoke to my heart several weeks ago about this message and preaching this message today. And I'm looking forward to it. Man, this is a... If, if, if I had to pick a sermon out of the Bible to preach uh, for the first time to folks, this would be it right here. This is where Paul is uh, in the city of Athens. I liken it unto him going to, um, uh, to Austin uh, because Athens was the, the city of education. Uh, it, Athens was the place where that you could hear Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. It was the place of liberalism, uh, a place also here of many gods of many idols, many statues. As a matter of fact, out of a city of about 250,000, it is said and recorded that they had over 30,000 different idols and gods that they worshipped uh, in that particular city. And that lets you know a little bit about where liberalism mentally will take you. It'll take you away from God. And the closer you get to God, the more conservative you will be in your thinking. I promise you that. But uh, I want you to notice something here, though, in Acts 17. He's left there by himself for a little while. His spirit is stirred in him because of what he sees. Uh, the whole city is given to idolatry. And so he begins to speak with some of the folks there. And I want you to notice, though, what would happen. L- look with me when he talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, remember now, uh, they don't have Bibles uh, this is something new to them as far as some, them hearing that someone has died and has been raised from the dead. This is all new to these, these folks that are hearing this. All right, so look in verse number 18. The Bible says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Now that's what liberals will do when they don't have a defense. They will call you names. That's right. That's what they do. They call you names. They make fun of you. They make fun of your education or lack thereof. And so he says, he says what shall this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Now you'll notice over in chapter 17 again, look with me in verse number uh, 31. He said, because, uh, let's back up to verse 30. He said, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, there are three responses here. One, they heard of the resurrection. So I want you to answer this question for me this morning. There's three, three responses here to the message of the gospel. Three responses when they heard of the resurrection of Christ. Now I want you to answer this question by the end of the service. Of these three, which one is me? Of these three, which one is me? Notice he says in verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Are you a mocker? 
Others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. That's the agnostic who says, you know, I'm going to think about that for a little bit. And then down in verse number 34, Howbeit certain men clave unto him, and what? And believed. So there are three responses here. We're going to look at them at the end of the message. And I want you to answer this question of the three, which one is me? Would you pray with me? Father, would you bless now the preaching of your holy word. Lord, I pray thy servant would be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And God, that I might say exactly what you'd have me to say, no more, no less. In Christ's holy name, amen. I want you to notice with me in Acts 17, again, if you would, in verse number 17. Paul is an evangelist here, and as he lives here, as, he, as he's here in this city, I want you to notice how he approaches this, these folks where he doesn't know anybody, he has no friends, but notice his method of evangelism. You'll notice, first of all, he approaches the conservatives. If you're looking for a friend in the camp, you'll find somebody who thinks conservatively. Because people who think conservatively at least usually live, whether they know it or not, by some biblical principles in their life. And they may not even know they came from the Bible. It's just some things, they understand this is the way life works and this is what's best. You know, like like a man ought to be able to uh, basically uh, work for his own living and be able to keep what he earns and be able to determine where the rest of it goes on his own without it being taken from him. Okay? And so he, he goes then to the Jewish synagogue because there's this whole city is filled with idolatry. Well, the Jews at least believed in monotheism, not pantheism. Pantheism is that you believe everything has, is connected to a god. That's why when you go into certain countries like India, they will, they will allow a cow to walk across the road and stop their car, not for fear of hitting the cow, but because it might be somebody reincarnated. And they'll let their kids starve to death instead of feeding them because they believe it's connected to the gods. All right? And so the world, here you have Paul approaching. So he goes to the Jewish, he goes to the, to the conservatives and approaches them. And you know, there can be some conservative people in America who are not believers in the gospel. You understand that? That you have Americans here who believe in a conservative lifestyle and in conservative politics, but yet they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Okay, so here we go. And he says here in verse number 17, Therefore he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. So a person can have a conservative view even religiously and not know the Lord Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin. Being religious is not the same as having a relationship with God or even being redeemed in the eyes of the Lord. God is not impressed with religion. As a matter of fact, the adversary, the devil, is the key guy who loves religion. So I want you to notice he goes to the conservatives first. They, these folks are opposed to idolatry, but they are powerless to prevent it. And they are powerless to deliver anybody that's been given to it because they do not have the message of the gospel. So they, they argue about that. They talk about it. But then it says 
in verse number 18, uh, verse 17, he went to the Jews first and the devout persons, but then he goes to the common folks. Who are the common folks in the Bible? Well, that's the hard-working man who's out there in the marketplace trying to make a living. Doesn't think a whole lot sometimes about religion or about God, just trying to make a living. You'll notice it says, and by the way, that was a crowd that was attracted to Jesus the most when he was on the earth. And he says in verse 17, he says, and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him, those in commerce, hardworking, because I promise you the religions that they were seeing on the marketplace, all of these idols, all of these images, you know what is behind every idol according to the Bible? You may think that a statue is nothing. You may think that an idol in a person's life is nothing. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says behind every idol is a devil. Behind every idol is a demonic spirit. And the more idolatrous an area is, the more demonic that area is. And if you don't believe that, then just pick up your stuff, sell your house, move to South Louisiana on the coast in the area of of Cajun country uh, where there are many idols and you'll find that there is much voodoo, much witchcraft, and much demonism, and much religion. It's a powerful demonic place, dark place. Now, I want you to look in Acts 17. He approached the common folks, but then he went on in verse 18, and he approached the cultural elite. So he goes to the conservatives, the common folks, and these common folks are finding no help, no deliverance, no hope in these false religions. They're just trying to work and make a living. They don't even, they say, look, they're so, can you imagine if you were in that day and there are 30,000 different denominations and you're trying to find God? Wow. Wouldn't that be tough? I think you'd just give up and say it's impossible. Just do the best you can. But I want you to know that God knows the heart of everybody in this room and He knows whether or not you're looking for Him. Did you know that? He knows. And I promise you this, if you're looking for Him, you'll find Him because He's not very far away from any of us. All right, and I'll show you that in the Scriptures. Look in verse 18, it says, Then He went to the cultural elite. All right, and really they came to Him. More than Him going to them, they came to Him. Verse 18 says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics. And really what you have there is the cultural elite the well-educated, the philosophers, uh, you would find, I think, in this group here, uh, and really what you have nowadays as far as news broadcasters are concerned, they don't broadcast the news, they broadcast philosophy and politics and ideas and agendas. Their tolerance goes in one direction, and that is for you to tolerate what they are and what they do. And if you do not agree with that, they do not tolerate you. Amen. That tolerance means allowance. I want you to agree with me. All right, so here's what he says in verse number 18. He goes, these Epicureans, who are they? Well, they were known as the atheists, the materialist. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Living for the moment. No accountability for what I have done in this life. That was their attitude and their philosophy. Then the Stoics. Have you ever met anyone that you said, you know, he's kind of stoic? I've been accused of that. 
of being a little bit stoic, but you don't really know me when I'm at home sometimes. I like to cut up. But, but stoics are people who are very reserved and who do not show a lot of emotion out in the public or around other people they don't know. Stoics kind of, they don't get too happy and they don't get too sad. They're just kind of almost just kind of level-headed. Well, you say level-headed. They're just kind of level emotionally. There may be a, a volcano going on on the inside, but on the outside you don't really see it because they're stoic, you know. Something happens. I mean, they might be watching a football game and their team wins in the last few seconds. Somebody's watching. Hmm. Hmm, that was good. Wasn't that a blessing? But if nobody was around, yes, man, that was great. But that's the way Stoics are. They, they pretend like nothing bothers them. No matter what life throws at them, they just kind of handle it without any emotion, not too, not too sad, not too glad. The Stoics, they were, uh, they were more pantheistic in their religion as well, rocks and trees and animals. They were the moderates, however, of their day. They took whatever life threw with them and did the best they can. They considered themselves also to be what we would call fatalists. Fatalists is, you know what, you, you can't... There's some strange things that happen in life, things that are beyond your control, and people sometimes will opt out of personal choices and accountability and say that was fate. And that, uh, I, you know, whatever will be, will be. That's basically their philosophy. That kind of takes the pressure off of you that you're responsible for what you do and the choices you make. So here's Paul's approach. And by the way, Paul shows great restraint because he is stirred in his heart. But rather than getting on the street corner and blasting them for being idolaters and railing at them for their beliefs about all these false things, Instead, he approaches them from the attitude of them at least pursuing something spiritual in their lives. Now, they're going in the wrong direction, but at least they're going in a direction. And if you'll at least pursue after God, usually you'll have to overcome some kind of false religion to be able to find the Lord because the devil is going to place some roadblocks in front of you before you find the true God. But God has plenty of ways to get you through the roadblocks and he'll set up some roadblocks to keep you out of hell. That's how good he is. So when you get to Acts 17, this is what he says here in verse number 22. Well, notice in verse number 21. I want to show you how they are like the news, the news of our day. Social media had nothing on these folks. They just didn't have something to press their, their thumbs, you know, on their, with their thumbs. Look what he says in verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. And that sounds like Facebook. Sounds just like Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and all the other Words that you use nowadays, you young folks have. I can't keep up with them all. So he goes to these folks. Verse 22, the Bible says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. What they did was that the philosophers and the, uh, the religious folks, they said, Hey, man, let's carry this guy down here to Areopagus, which was an area there in the city of where they would almost like have public court. And now he's not being put on trial, but it's like he's being in a place of, in a public court of where people are going to judge him, however, though there's not going to be any punishment, they're going to hear him. They want to hear what he has to say about this 
new God, this new religion, and this man named Jesus. It's piqued their interest. And so the scripture says he goes to them. Now remember, he can't stand up, Brother Kenneth, and say, would you turn to Acts chapter number 17? He couldn't do that. He couldn't say, would you turn to Isaiah 53? All he had to do, all he could do was just stand up and begin to say what he knew was true. Did you know that truth has power? Truth will cut right through the lies. Truth will pierce the heart of an individual when lies can do nothing to comfort their soul and their mind. You don't always have to have a Bible in your hand or a track in your hand or a CD in your hand to hand to somebody that you're witness to. Sometimes you just need to tell the truth and you need to give your testimony of what the Lord has done for you. All right? Now notice what he says here. You'll notice as he's approaching these people, he says this about them. He says in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. He said, for as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So out of these 30,000 gods, Brother Travis, they said, you know what? Just in case we missed one out there, guys, let's put this altar up here to the unknown God. And so Paul saw that. And he said, you know what? I'm going to use that right there as an illustration. I'm going to say, you see this altar you've got here? That to the unknown God, he said, you are ignorantly worshiping him. Now, he wasn't calling them ignoramuses. He wasn't calling them names and say, you're just plain stupid. He was saying, you know what? You're so intelligent, but there's some things you just don't know. You are ignorant in this fact, and he is fixing to lay it out to them. And what he's going to lay out to them It's not based upon man's philosophies. It's going to resonate in their conscience that it is true. He appeals to their conscience. He appeals to their heart. He doesn't appeal to their education or their background or their wages or their color. He appeals to their heart and to their conscience. That's what he says. He says here in verse number 23, For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this instruction to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. He said, let me tell you about him. Him I declare unto you. And this is what he says about him in verse number 24. He says, God is the maker of this world. He has not been made by the hands of men. That's what the idols have been done. Look what he says. God that made the world. Do you believe that God made the world? Has God bore witness to the fact that he is a divine creator? Do you know if you don't believe in creation? I mean, I'm talking about you look at it objectively, reasonably, intellectually, and you don't believe that in creation, you are willingly ignorant. And that Bible means, it just simply means you are dumb on purpose. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now he is basically saying, you know, 
This God that you don't know, He's different than all these other gods that you think exist. He is the maker. He is the creator. He is not a creation. He is not a creature. Look in verse 25. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. God is the creator, the maker. Number two, God is a giver, not a taker. You don't have anything God needs. You have nothing to offer to him that he is in need of. God is the giver of life. God is the giver of breath. Everything that you have, you have received by the goodness of God. Everything, saved or lost, black or white, every good thing that comes from God is from above and God blesses man with that. He's a giver, not a taker. These folks worked and worried and worshipped false gods and lived in fear constantly. Devils always create fear and torment. Demons do. They don't, they can't give peace. They can't, they don't know peace. They can't give peace. Religion cannot do that. And then you'll notice down in verse number 26, he says that God is without need and he is the maker of men, not only this world, but he's the maker of man. Boy, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to know that I did not come from a tadpole. I'm glad to know that My ancestors were not dragging their knuckles on the ground and swinging from a tree. You understand? At least not that I know of. Now, they may have after they got through with some of the moonshine they made. But I promise you that that's not their original state. And the Bible says that he hath made of... Look at this now. He says, now listen, this is what God made. And hath made of one blood all nations of men. What does that tell you? Well, there's just really one race. And you know what that race is? It's the human race. (laughs) God made the human race. Now, He made that human race diverse. And when He spread the sons of Noah around the planet, He gave each of those sons different attributes. And, And even as time went on, they may have even changed their color to some degree. But all got off, you know, all of them got off the same boat. Amen. And Noah didn't have rainbow colored children. You understand? As time progressed and colors changed and pigments changed around the world, but the bottom line is that everybody in here came from Adam. And everybody came from one of the sons of Noah. And he says here, he said, and had made one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. What does that mean? It just means when you look back at history, is that you'll see how that God divided man and put him in and broke up the continents and put this one here and this one here and this one here. And he did it on purpose. Men adapted to those circumstances and situations. <clears throat> I wouldn't want to live in the North Pole. I don't know how they do it. I like to froze to death. Back in early February, we had the freeze come through here. I had on three pair of britches and four shirts when I walked outside. You understand? I mean, I, I don't want to live in the North Pole. And I'm sure the folks in the North Pole don't want to be here in Houston in June. You have to grow an extra pair of 
of, of you, have to, you have to have some gills in the side to be able to breathe through the humidity that's here. And the Bible says here in verse number 26, he says, God put all that out there. This is not a hodgepodge thing put together on this planet. God spread all those around. And you know how he split man up? It wasn't by color. What was it by? Language. Language. And the world's been trying to overcome that and put that back together at the, at the United Nations. They've got these little things on their ears to try to interpret and hear what everybody has to say. But God destroyed that at the Tower of Babel and said, hey, y'all scatter. He said, the more of y'all that get together, the worse y'all get. He said, I want you to live a little bit longer than you did before the flood, so I'm going to scatter you across the planet. And the bigger a city gets, the wickeder it gets, the meaner it gets, the more ungodly it gets. And the scripture here says that he's talking to them about this. And quickly look at him here with me now. He says, he said, I scattered men everywhere for this reason. Look at verse 27. This is all men everywhere. Verse 27, I love this. That they should seek the Lord. I love to read that to my Calvinist friends. That it's possible for a man to seek after the Lord. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, take your pen knife, cut out what you don't like. The Bible says, this is why God did this. He said that they should seek the Lord. You should seek the Lord early in your life. You should seek the Lord your entire life. He says that they should seek the Lord. And look at this. If happily, they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us. So whether you are in England, Papua New Guinea, Guam, Fiji, Texas, Tennessee, Alabama, Alaska, Canada, no matter where you are, God sees in the heart and mind of every human being. And the Lord tries to range in the heart of every person to see which way do they really want to go. And the scripture here says that if you, uh, get, if you respond to the light that God grants, God will give you more light. He will. And the scripture says, I, I love this. He's the maker of man. And, and by the way, he says, we are made in his image. You look in verse number 29. He says, for as much then as we are the offspring of what? Of God. I am an offspring of God. I have been made in His image. A trinity. A body that possesses a soul and a spirit. A trinity made like unto God. Not a God. Made in the image of God. And so you are somebody. You do matter to God. God did not make the dog in His image. God did not make... For sure, any cat in his image. God made man in his image. And yes, you matter to God. Jesus Christ did not die for the animal kingdom. Jesus died for every man, woman, boy, and girl. And the scripture here says that you are in his image. 
He's the origin of man, and he's the maker of man. You've been made in the image of God. Let me say this about mankind. He's the, he, is, he is the image of God, and he is the interest of God. He is the interest of God. Let's wind this thing up here this morning. God and his love and his patience and his long-suffering, wherever you came from, whatever your background is, you can find God if you want him. You'll notice in verse number 30, it says, At the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ is like no other. Jesus Christ is like no other. Do you understand? Jesus Christ fulfilled the scriptures and came to this earth to bear witness of God the Father. And the Bible says that God the Father sent him so that one day he would hang on a cross and he would bear our iniquities in his own body on the tree so that man could be reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, there's been a lot of folks that have been kind of weird in the head who claim themselves to be messiahs, and they've had followers. There are people in America, in California especially, the land of fruits and nuts, of where cults seem to just thrive, of where people will jump off a building, or people will drink Kool-Aid, or people will kill themselves because they're following somebody with a messianic uh, aura about them and claim about them. Those people stayed in the grave and so did their leaders. But there's only been one man who fulfilled all the scriptures, who is who the Bible says he is. And and God said, okay, I'm going to prove to you, I'm going to give assurance to all men that this is the one. And the Bible says that God declared him to be the son of God by raising him from the dead. There are several men who have attempted. They were agnostic or atheistic when they started their their journey, so they say. And in their desire to prove that the resurrection was false, they went at it. One of them was an an investigative uh, journalist by the name of Lee Strobel. And you can look at some of his material if you, when you go home, if you look him up on the Internet. His pursuit was to disprove the resurrection. And so he went after it hard and heavy to disprove the facts that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And the more he dug into it and the more he looked into it, the more he realized that this was beyond a doubt a fact that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead to die nevermore. And then another guy by the name of Josh McDowell who's written a lot of books about his case for Christianity, started out to disprove and found out that it was true. You see, when you start seeking after truth, you'll find that truth will change you. It will demand a response from you. So I want to say to you here in this passage, 
where he says that God uh, at one time winked at our ignorance. It's important and critical that you understand this. A man may be ignorant, but he's not innocent. Your ignorance is no plea at the judgment bar of God. That's why Paul said, listen, God has given assurance that God raised him from the dead. And what that means now is that there's going to be a day of when everybody will be held accountable and you will be judged according to the righteousness of this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be compared to Brother Roger. You won't be compared to Brother Kenneth. You won't be compared to Brother Lewis. You won't be compared to anybody that you know and respect. You will be compared to the law of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will come short of the glory of God. God is not impressed with anything that you have to offer Him. None of your good works. Nothing, nothing of that sort will reconcile you to God. You think that your good will outweigh your bad and you're thinking about all the good things that you did, but you're not looking at the bad the way God looks at the bad. He said that our righteousness is as filthy rags in His sight. That's like the, the, the rags that the lepers would wear and they'd wipe their sores with it and throw them away. He said, that's the way I look at your righteousness and your goodness. You have nothing to offer to me. I have everything to offer to you by grace through my son, Jesus Christ. And so as Paul is preaching this, when he talks about at, at where God, uh, you know, winked at their ignorance, that, you know, when you say, when, when you say you winked at something, we kind of, when, when somebody winks at us, we think they're just being funny and mischievous or something like that. But when it says that God, it just means that he kind of blinked at it, meaning that he, he looked at that and said, okay, I'm going to put up with that right now, but I'm not going to put up with that forever. That's why the scripture says in, in Ephesians chapter number 2 that he allows it for a season. Our sinful lifestyle and ungodliness, he allows for a season he said that we walked according to the course of this world in time past. He said, by nature, the children of wrath in times past. The scripture says we have all gone our own way. He says we all like sheep have gone astray and every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, man. God has proven himself to man through creation through conscience, and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say to you this morning in closing, there is help in Christ Jesus. You have been appointed a day to die. And after death, that's not it. According to the scriptures, you'll be raised from the dead and stand before God, and you will answer to God for every thought, every word, and every deed. And you will be judged for that. And if you come short of the glory of God, the Bible says you will be cast into the lake of fire and you will experience what is called the second death forever, for eternity. That's what the Bible says. Or you'll be raised from the dead and stand before God and there you'll be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because at some point and some place in your life you did exactly what the Lord said. You repented toward Him and you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins. And it's so simple. And yet we struggle over that. And He is our help to reconcile us to God 
and to regenerate our soul because those people worshiping those idols, they wanted something that would change their life. That was an empty religion. And they needed something that worked. I want to say to you that there's help in Jesus Christ and I want to say to you there is hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we're here this morning because there's hope in Christ. Many of you are here this morning because God saved you, changed you, and gave you hope in Jesus Christ. Now, because He lives, we sang it this morning, we shall live again also. I want you to keep your hand where you are because I want to go over the responses, but I'm going to turn to another passage and read it to you here in just a second. Then I'm going to play you something that's very personal to me and my family to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. I've asked for for permission to do this from my family, from my wife, and from my daughter who this was given to. I'm going to play it to you. And I'm not trying to stir up your emotions. I'm trying to show you the reality because sometimes people come to church and they don't connect it to reality. I don't like that. I like practical religion. I like stuff that works at home and on the job. So when I say that there is hope in Christ Jesus, I believe that. The 30,000 lifeless statues could offer those people nothing. No hope. I want to say to you that there is hope in Christ Jesus. My, my mother-in-law passed away in 2020, at the end of 2020. Her name was Virginia Nail Oliver. She died at the age of 81 on October the 26th. My wife's mother, she lived with us the past 21 years. The past six months of her life was a gradual decline of her life. Sometimes death comes quickly. Sometimes it comes gradually. And when it comes gradually, it can be very dishonoring and very discouraging as you watch your loved one begin to melt away. And so the other side of that is, is that children and grandchildren have the opportunity to be able to minister and to be able to visit before they graduate. I like to say for a Christian, they're graduating from this life. The Bible says because it's far better. It's not better for us, but it is better for them. And so, last week, my daughter Rachel, our youngest, sent this recording to Cindy. And it was something that Granny had sent to her in her last days. I wanted you to listen to it and have a point to make from it. Okay? Rachel, I just wanted to call and tell you you do not know what it meant to me. You spending the day with me and us watching movies together. It was just a highlight of my week. And I just sit here going back over everything and, and I just want you to know how much you helped your granny today by spending time with me. I love you and y'all be careful tomorrow. Bye-bye, baby. Now, the reason I'm playing that is because we can't hear her voice anymore. But I will say to you, based on the authority of the gospel, we will hear her voice again. Now listen to what it says here. 
And, I, and my children understand this. We sorrow, but not as others which have no hope. You die without Jesus Christ. There is no hope. There is no hearing the voice of a loved one again. You understand? If you have a loved one, find great comfort that you will see them again and you will hear them again. And we talked about that straight up with Granny. No time to mince words when you're fixing to cross over. Amen? Amen? All right. Listen to what he said. Listen to what Paul said. Now, and and, and be, be patient with me here. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, referring to those that are dead, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Okay? We're not like those who have no hope. That woman put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ years ago. Years ago. As a matter of fact, I had the privilege of preaching the message of when she got saved under I, I remember that day. Not many men can say that the Lord used them to help their mother-in-law come to Christ. And the Bible says in verse 14, says, For if we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together. Now listen carefully. It, says, it doesn't say shall be called up together with Him, but that's true. That's the emphasis. But it says called up together with them. There is a reunion. There is a gathering together. So shall we ever be with the Lord. See, I believe that. What I believe affects my behavior. It affects my emotions. It affects my confidence. Not cockiness. Confidence. Confidence that the Lord cannot lie. Let me close with this thought today. Acts 17. I close with this question again to you. After they heard... Of the resurrection. After they heard of the resurrection, there were three responses. Of the three, which one is me? The Bible says you have three choices. The first one is the scoffer. I like to call him the scoffer. It says in verse number 22, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Scoffers, willingly ignorant. They do not want their heart to discover itself. They don't want to see what God sees. And they are reserved for the judgment of God by their own choice. God gives you choices. Door number one has scoffer written on it. Are you a scoffer? Do you make fun of what you heard today? Do you laugh about what we talked about today? Do you make fun of Bible-believing, true Bible-believing Christians? Do you mock them? Then there's that second crowd. I call them the skeptics. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Are you skeptical of what you've heard today? Does not your conscience bear witness to a creator? Does not your conscience bear witness to the law of God that when you've done something, you feel guilty for what you have done when you have hurt someone? 
Your creator put that in you, separating you from the animal kingdom. You became a living soul in the eyes of God. They are, but the skeptic says, you know what, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to ponder this. But the problem with that crowd is, is that they procrastinate. Your thinking can take too long. And you say, someday I'm going to get right with God. But the problem is, you're being presumptuous. Because boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know that you're going to live tomorrow. The third group is what I call the seekers. That's the sincere person who did the best they could until the truth came along. Look at this. It says, verse 34, Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed among which was Dionysius the Eurypagite. It's like the Holy Spirit said, let me show you the power of the gospel. That, that word there, Eurypagite, that's not a disease. That's a person who was a judge there in that city, in that area. He was well-educated. He knew all the religions because of his job. He had heard many things and seen many things, but nothing gave him peace. And when he heard the gospel for the first time in his life, he hadn't gone to a Bible college. He hadn't been through a theological class. He simply had a man come by who stood up and preached Jesus Christ is the way to God. And there was something that rang true in his heart. And he said, I believe that. And and the Bible says here that he clave unto the apostle Paul. He said, man, that's what I've been looking for. I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll give you peace, freedom. The gospel will do that. See, freedom from what? Well, from the wages of sin. And number two, the wrath of God. And number three, a way of living that's a whole lot better. And he said, a woman named Demarius and others with them. You may not be a famous person this morning, but you might just be some of those others with them. That's okay as long as I get in. I may not ride first class, but as long as I'm on the plane, I'm okay with that. And the Bible says here that they were seeking truth. That means they had to do what he said. They repented toward God and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you this morning that if we are right and the Bible is true, God has commended his love towards you and God has commanded your response. Commanded your response. Not a suggestion commanded. He said, you repent and you believe or you reject and you perish. God has left you with the choice. Of the three, which one is me? Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed. Maybe you're new to church, not, don't know all that goes on here. We're not asking you to join this church. We're not asking you to give an offering. We're not asking anything of you other than to respond to the Word of God. And if you this morning have been looking for God and God rang your bell today and you would like to have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, I'm going to encourage you. My wife is at the piano and we do this as just our tradition. 
We ask folks to bow their heads and give you some privacy, but we ask if you would to just slip out of your pew and come to an old-fashioned altar and bow your knee and from your heart call on Jesus Christ and let him know that you want to trust him as your Lord and your Savior, that you know that he is the only way, the truth, and the life, that no man can come to the Father except through him. Would you be willing to come to him, give him your heart, he'll take your sins, wash you clean, make you a new creature, give you peace with God and hope after death. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that soul closest to hell would come to Jesus today. In Christ's name we ask it.